Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. My brand new book, Midwife Pip's Guide to a Positive Birth, is now available. So much more than a book, this is a guide that allows me to hold your hand through your birth preparation journey. With over a decade of experience and knowledge packed in to ensure you really are empowered in the way you deserve to achieve a positive birth, regardless of the twists and turns that crop up. Make sure that you get your hands on Midwife Pip's Guide to a Positive Birth Book now and are empowered to have the birth experience that you deserve. I am back for the third season and wow so much has changed since season two mainly in that I've been on my own journey through pregnancy and have joined this crazy incredible club of motherhood for those of you who don't know me I'm Pip a practicing NHS midwife and enthusiast of all things women's wellness I have a somewhat relentless passion for ensuring women are empowered with real, honest, and reliable information and support throughout their pregnancy. Because my goodness, pregnancy is such a powerful time in a woman's life that is often miraculous and challenging in equal measures. Over the upcoming weekly episodes, I am joined by many leading experts to bring you the evidence-based information and top tips to navigating your pregnancy and motherhood journey that you need to hear. Needless to say, I had my notebook at hand when recording this season, and I would recommend the same for you too. I hope you're ready for the giggles, knowledge bombs, and empowering chats to commence. But before I get quizzing our guests on this season, I have some questions for you. Have you found yourself with unanswered pregnancy questions? Have you been guilty of trying to navigate the rabbit warren of inaccurate information on the internet? Do you feel that extra support and guidance would be useful to you? If you answered yes to any of these, then fear not. My exclusive Your Pregnancy Journey course is for you. Spaces are limited, so if expert guidance through each stage of your pregnancy and birth preparation and a community support group with 24 access to asking questions sounds like it's for you, then head over to www.midwifepip.com now to check it out. And I look forward to getting to know you better and ensuring your pregnancy journey is the most empowering and positive it can be. You'll also find information all about my antenatal course options on my website. And any questions about choosing the right course for you, then please get in touch via the contact page and I'll be there to help you navigate the right choice. All expectant parents have one main goal in mind, to grow a healthy baby. 
We have seen such a rise in childhood conditions such as asthma, eczema, allergies, and obesity over recent years, all conditions that can be unpleasant, troublesome, and affect the quality of a child's life. But what if there was evidence that we could actively adopt some very simple lifestyle changes during pregnancy to help reduce the risk of such conditions? Well, I don't know about you, but I am all ears for this chat with the wonderful Michelle Henning. On this week's episode, I am delighted to be joined by Michelle, mother herself and author of Grow Healthy Babies, a book I highly recommend reading and that can be found linked in the episode description. Michelle and her husband suffered from lifelong allergies themselves and wanted their children to not have to endure the dietary restrictions, skin issues and health complications they had to. And so this incredible book and resource for other parents was born. Michelle is a certified nutrition and health coach, writer, nutrition educator, and graduate of the Irish Institute of Nutrition and Health. Her articles have been featured in Wired Magazine, Pathways to Family Wellness, Baby Centre, and many other outlets. Together with her husband, Dr. Victor Henning, she is the author of Grow Healthy Babies. Written as lifelong allergy sufferers who wanted their own children to grow up healthy. Grow Healthy Babies is a practical, easy guide for expectant parents and provides evidence-based steps to prevent chronic diseases, including the common asthma, eczema and allergies. So welcome, Michelle, and thank you so much for taking time out of your busy mum and author schedule to join us today. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you because as you know, I'm a massive fan of your book. I read it cover to cover and it was one of those really kind of can't put down every kind of bit of evidence and fact that came out. I was just going, wow, my gosh, I can't believe this. I'll show it to my husband. Did you know this is linked to this and we can do this thing to help reduce our risk of kind of X, Y and Z. It's so empowering. So a massive thank you on behalf of me and all the other expectant mums. I hope will reach out and read it as well. You know, what's so funny is when I did the, so I recorded the audiobook version myself and I went into Oslo and I was in studio with um, a woman called Celia and we were reading it. So I was reading aloud and I hadn't read the book in ages because once we'd finished editing, I was kind of done. Yeah. And then I was reading it again out loud. And I also was like, oh my God, did you know this? And it was like, I had forgotten myself and we kept pausing the recording, both of us to go, wow, I can't believe this is happening and this could cause <laughs> this. And I also had those moments when rereading my own book. It was really funny. Well, that shows how powerful it is, I think, doesn't it? And how, how just empowering it is, I think, to have that information and be able to make those choices. And so I just wonder, Michelle, I know you've had a, a history personally with navigating some of these kind of common illnesses that we talked about. But I just wonder what kind of really drew you to write your book. Was it based on your experiences or? You know, I mean, it, it's interesting, right? Because so I have had all of these health problems um and so right I've got a whole history of having I was that kid that was allergic to everything you know I remember even just getting a deodorant and I'd break out in hives skin and then I think oh you're the deodorant cause an allergy in me and and uh, I was like I always had stomach problems and then when I was 14 I was diagnosed with asthma I had a really severe asthma attack 
when I was hospitalized. And this just came out of the blue. It was quite a shock for me as well. And this kind of kept spiraling. And then by the time I was in my late teens, I, I wanted to do something. So I started looking into ways that I could heal my health. My own mother had been diagnosed with an autoimmune disease and her brother had one and then her mother. And I was like, this has got to be something going on. You know, it's, it can't just be coincidence. In fact, the, the doctors were quite shocked that my mother and her brother had the same autoimmune disease because this was quite rare. So there was, they were investigating my mom. I'm curious how this was happening. And I started asking questions. I mean, I look back now and I realized some of the decisions I made weren't fantastic because I really didn't know what I was doing. I, I wanted to give up sugar. I knew that this was inflammatory, but I swapped it for artificial sweeteners, which I now know are also problematic. So I, it's, for me, it was a really long journey, kind of step by step, the more I learned and then going to college. And then when you study nutrition, you become, I would say a little bit too extreme at the beginning because you read everything and then you panic. I remember being scared to even have ice in my water that was from water that wasn't like filtered and like you become really like far and then you start to even out and relax. And then I met my husband. We always joke, I met him in a nightclub in Dublin and uh, I was a singer at the time. I had uh, taken a detour away from my nutrition career and I had been working as a singer in Paris. And so I met him and I was like, I'm a singer, but I also work in nutrition. And he said, oh, what do you do? Prescribe carrots. <laughs> I was like, well, what? Don't like you anymore. It was like... <laughs> you went on to marry him <laughs> I know it was like and I remember watching his face I threw him the filthiest look and he was like I have absolutely ruined this <laughs> like I have completely spoiled this moment she's never going to speak to me again and then he was trying to backtrack and it was funny because he was so kind and nice and we talked and he was emailing me afterwards and he had come from a completely different background he's rigidly scientific I would say sometimes and like he believed you know, in packaging. Well, the packaging said that this is the finest and they say that this is, you know, and he had 14 microwave meals a week because, you know, <laughs> they always said, but well, it was Tesco's finest. <laughs> <laughs> That's impressive. 14 a week is impressive. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is, he was, like I said, the extreme opposite end of eating to me. And, I, and then I learned that he had really, really severe eczema and asthma. And also he has a very severe egg allergy. And I could see his skin was terrible. And I said, you can't live like this. You can't eat this for every meal. Like this is ridiculous. You've got, and he had no idea how to cook, like nothing. Mm. And I found this, so I lived in Paris and he was in London and I had to teach him to cook over WhatsApp. You know, it was like, okay, we're going back to the basics. You're going to learn a roast chicken and then you're going to save the leftovers for the week for your lunchbox, you know? And he was like sending me pictures and he was like, is this right? And he was so proud. And he kind of, he had to learn from scratch how to cook basic food. And then, so he slowly started to change. And then obviously we, we were together and we wanted to have a baby. And I thought, I can't pass this on these conditions that we both have so we both took our backgrounds 
and put it together and started to research what were the specific things that we could do to target this. You know, I know how to lead a generally healthy life, but there's got to be more, you know. And we delved into PubMed and we were just every day searching, 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 and then applying it to my pregnancy. Um, I remember when, I mean, unfortunately, I didn't kind of look into it earlier because what he does also makes an impact. This is not all on women. You know, this is this is absolutely a shared burden of That's responsibility. Such a good point. I love that because often women do feel like all oh, the pressures on them in, in pregnancy or that kind of preconception period. So I love that you're like, no, let's do it together. Okay, and funnily enough, actually, we've, we've mentioned this in the book, but a, a man's drinking has a greater impact on heart development in the child. So just so everybody knows, like, because I see there was a recommendation recently by the WHO that women of childbearing age shouldn't drink alcohol. And I was like, eh, excuse me, I think you'll find the research also <laughs> says that what men drink has an impact too. Yeah. So um, I think this is really unfair that it's all on women. But anyway, most of the focus of the book is pregnancy and there are other resources for what men can do. But for my husband, I remember he used to, he has like, um, he's half Asian and he has this really flat hair. So he always used to hairspray his hair up. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember going in, I was like, no hairspray out <laughs> he was like no like it's it's funny he ended up making a beeswax and coconut oil kind of hair putty ah. and it lasts years just if anyone like it does a little bit of work in the melting at the beginning but it lasts a really long time and he's still using it to this day which is quite funny oh that's brilliant it got, got you kind of inventive and looking outside the box and I suppose yeah um so we applied what we could and I always remember I went, we lived in Amsterdam for my child's birth. And in the Netherlands, home birth is quite a common practice. You know, it's very well kind of received. It's not a, a fear thing. And But I had come from Ireland and I was like, nope, like you guys are crazy. Don't even ask me <laughs> to think about it. I want to be in a hospital. And I mean, I started my pregnancy actually saying, I want, I want a C-section. I want this. I, I, you know, I want medicine. I don't want you to even suggest an alternative. And I had this. I think I came with this huge fear of birth, which I'm sure you encounter with many uh, pregnant definitely, people. I yeah, fear definitely. That I had this uh, idea that birth was going to be horrendous and traumatic, and I'd heard all of the lies and how what it was going to do to me, and I that it was going to do. And I was like, no like absolutely not and then finally as we were researching for my pregnancy the more information I got the more I realized actually a more natural approach is going to be better and then actually I do I wanted to be in charge of my birth and I think I told myself that by having an elective cesarean or these things that I would be in charge right mm -hmm. it's an illusion of kind of power and then the more I looked into it, I said, oh, no, actually, I'm in charge if I'm preparing at home, if I'm starting the labor at home, if I'm making the decisions, if I'm in charge of my environment, then, you know, and I had a, I had a really great midwife who I just adored. Um, in the Netherlands, your midwife practice is on the same road as your house nearly. It's in these like neighborhoods oh, rather nice. than being like, a clinical practice it feels like going into your aunties 
yeah you meet all these women and they've got like little armchairs and it feels really like a family kind of situation rather than a clinical and they take amazing care when they arrive on their bikes and it just feels I think cozy it sounds like call the midwife it sounds like that kind of (laughs) I love it but it feels so cozy and it just doesn't feel like that your pregnancy is anything other than a normal experience and um I said to the, by the end I was like okay well we'll start at home okay we'll just see how it goes and then they were <laughs> like sure we'll support you and I was like okay well I, you know we'll see and then as labor progressed I, I had a quite severe pain I had what they call the storm where I had straight contractions rather than up and down so I didn't get that break and I remember crying and saying like where's this break you're supposed to get in the middle of like the contractions why isn't it stopping and um but you know finally they they got me singing and it was singing that calmed me and that everything changed from that moment because it was like I was then controlling my breathing I was calming myself, I was relaxing my vagus nerve, I was sending messages, you know, to the, my baby, everything was changing by just singing, I think it was like the same two lines over and over. So it became nearly like a mantra. So I was probably doing like hypnobirthing without realizing it. You probably were like naturally just suppressing your adrenaline and helping your oxytocin and yeah. getting yourself in a really positive space. Yeah, it was extraordinary. And then, I mean, I was really lucky that my midwife filmed a small bit of it and she showed it to me afterwards. And she said, I want to know, do I have your permission? You know, I can share this with you. And I think it's really powerful. I'd love to show it to the other midwives. And it's like, yeah, sure. I mean, she had filmed me from a, you know, a distance above my, my chest. And everything. <laughs> I ended up giving birth completely naked because I always you know you worry when you're pregnant you're like oh I'm gonna what if I poop and what if I turns out you don't care <laughs> so <laughs> true. Like, what? <laughs> and I remember them telling me like yes you know and I was like whatever just you deal with it I'm just like I'm focused you're doing you the important care. job in hand <laughs> you just don't care and it's those stories that you're told beforehand that oh you're gonna maybe you're gonna poop and you're gonna be so embarrassed you don't you don't feel any shame whatsoever you don't care it's just it's just you don't feel like it's a priority anymore and I kept telling myself each kind of wave was a step closer to meeting my baby and this was something that really helped me through and also reminding myself the calmer I am the faster this is gonna go yeah, that's a really good point, isn't it? The more stressed you get, it's just going to make it more uncomfortable and slower and drawn out. So I kept like visualizing my hips like jelly and I was like just imagining like calm, calm, like help this child. Because you still obviously want it to be over quicker, you know? Yeah. No. <laughs> no matter how well it's going, it's still something that you don't want to be doing for a very long time. But yeah, so <laughs> my daughter ended up coming out in our bedroom and we hadn't prepared fully. Luckily, the midwife was on our road. So someone ran down and got a birthing stool because we know we had no plan. We were just like, we'll just roll with it, you know. And then I got a birthing stool and I always laugh that I didn't want the lights on because I felt like it was going to impact 
my my feeling of stress and um they were like what do we do we need the light so my midwife had like one of those headlamps for yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like mining <laughs> yeah she had a miner's headlamp on and then she was like i need more light and my husband flipped open his iphone torch and just slid it underneath me so daughter came out by iphone light like love the, it the most modern birth like mixed with old traditions and brilliant landing on his pillow because we had to have something underneath and nobody was prepared i i pushed her out a little bit too fast for that last push and uh, she just landed on a pillow and just looked around at everybody it was just like i'm here <laughs> yeah just come like and you are <laughs> and that was it you know and we were really fortunate that way that we I think that uh, I'm really in awe of people like you and doulas and everything now that are trying to help women now understand birth can be so different if we just see it differently and if we can bin all of these myths about what's going to happen it, it, it just can just transform the whole process and give it back to women, you know, let them be in charge of the process. And I think that's so important, no matter how you birth, you don't have to do it at home. I mean, this was, but uh, it was just to feel like you're in charge. And I think this is so important, no matter where you give birth or how that you feel like, you know, what's happening and you're in charge of the process. Oh, a hundred percent, Michelle. I can agree more. I always say to women that your your mind and body are just so powerfully connected, aren't they? And I always say your your body knows how to give birth. We're not trying to teach your body how to do it. It knows how to do it. It's what it was built for. But yeah. it's it's your mind that we need to convince that actually it can trust your body to do what it what it needs to do. Someone, my doula told me that she said you're not giving birth. Your baby is birthing itself, and you're providing the space for it the baby knows what it's doing the baby's in charge the baby's doing all the twisting and following the signals from your body you're just providing the space as a guide and your job is to stay calm and you know and I thought that's what I kept reminding myself going I'm just like facilitating her birthing you know rather than thinking that I have to do something because then it takes away this idea that what if I don't know what to do but you don't need to. I remember it was just extraordinary. I think she was facing the wrong way. I don't remember, you know, the technical, she was the wrong way round. So possibly, possibly from the way you described her contractions, it sounds like she was probably a little bit back, sort of back to back position, which yeah. can make it a bit more intense. And they had said, oh, this could be, um, this could be tricky because she's the wrong way but you know what I didn't know and so I didn't think about it and she just figured it out and she did enough twists to get herself out and because I stay calm she stayed calm and we took the time that she needed to to do it yeah it was really extraordinary it's such a different mind shift isn't it and and it's definitely something that we hope I hope in the future we can work on because I love the idea that women go into birth excited um, rather than kind of scared or fearful and I just wonder Michelle whether do you think the kind of fear that's ended up surrounding childbirth and the kind of rise in things like cesarean birth 
um, as well as perhaps people that like your husband back in the day um, are surviving on ready meals because we've lost some of those skills about cooking nutritious foods. Do you think these have kind of led into this rise that we're seeing in these chronic childhood conditions like eczema and asthma and, and allergies? Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, the type of birth mode has a huge impact on sort of what they call the, the education of a baby's immune system. So when they're being birthed out the like vaginal route, then they pick up your bacteria. And this is a really positive thing. It helps to trigger the education of their immune system into a balanced state. And if they're coming out by a C-section, then they don't get that. They get all the bacteria from the people in the room and just the room in general. And the thing is, C-section is a life-saving procedure and we need it, but we need it to be used for essential purposes. And then we also need better research how to support mothers who give birth that way. But we need to stop feeling like it's something like I did. Oh, I just want to do it because I think that this will be better and I'll be more in charge or, I, or I'm just afraid of vaginal birth because I've heard these horror stories or I've seen these terrible TV programs showing these really traumatic experiences and I think it's that it's to to allow women to know what this can affect so they're informed also when they make the decision and like you and I were talking as long as you're informed and you do the best that you can then you can say okay I've done everything I can and from here on you know this is just life and there's nothing I can do about it but absolutely yeah I think if we can take away this idea that birth is traumatic and it's going to somehow destroy my body or create this idea that, you know, and it's like, yeah, and we keep C-sections for really true needs and purposes. And it's there and it's so important because otherwise we would lose so many wonderful kids in the world. So we have to allow it for the right purposes, but also encourage and support more women to feel safe to have a vaginal birth yeah I think that's really important do you think Michelle there's anything else that's led to kind of rises in these childhood conditions because it does seem really common now I mean you all know I, I'm not sure but sort of how common things like eczema and asthma and allergies are in children but it seems like you know everyone knows somebody if they're not affected themselves or they've got a direct friend or family member who has been impacted by one of these conditions it seems really, really common. I don't know if it's just that we talk about it more now or that rates have actually risen. We are just taking a short break from this week's episode to introduce you to one of this season's sponsors, Child's Farm. Baby skin is so sensitive and precious. It's important to me to use only the most naturally derived and gentle products for my baby. That's why I have chosen to use Child's Farm for Finley. And I'm delighted that they are sponsoring this season's podcast. The products are dermatologist and paediatrician approved to be suitable for sensitive skin and are also safe for people who may be prone to eczema. So we can be sure our little one's skin is kept as gorgeous as they are. And I'm so excited to let you know that as a listener of this podcast, you can currently get an exclusive 25% of Child's Farm products on their website using the code MIDWIFEHIP25. No, they've absolutely, I mean, I think eczema has risen, I mean, double since the year 2000. Wow. I mean, and they're expecting 
I think they're expecting allergies to be more than half of all children in the next few years, I think by 2025. I mean, that's quite scary. That's because massive, we know, we also know that allergies and these atopic diseases run in families. So if you're child and then the numbers are increasing then this increases the risk for the next generation and then we get to a point where I think for me what really motivates me is when I I know people whose children have a severe food allergy and every day they send their kid to school worried that they might not come home again Mm. they're so scared that another child will accidentally give them something that they're extremely severely allergic to and I feel like we shouldn't have to live in a world where food is something like an innocent lunchbox could be something that could kill our child. You know, we are we are gone past the days of foraging for, you know, poisonous plants and this kind of risk. We have good food and I don't think parents should have to carry this. We have enough stress in parenthood as it is, you know, <laughs> but it's already like a constant like up and down of worry, you know, and I just feel so motivated that if I can help prevent any number of children from experiencing this and any number of families from not having to be afraid that their child might die from eating a peanut I think that this is just my most motivating factor and I read that like something like 180,000 people die of asthma every year as well around the world and this is a really high number and I think we forget how severe it can be. We kind of sometimes write it off as, you know, asthma is just one of these things that kids get sometimes. But it doesn't have to be like this. And if we can do something to help families avoid this stress and navigating life, worrying about what you're eating and having digestive problems. And then many of these conditions then, because of the inflammation in the body, will lead to other diseases later in life. It's never just stopping at this one thing. So yeah, I mean, birth mode obviously is really important. But what you do during pregnancy has a huge impact. And I was thinking about this recently. What is it that kind of stops people from making these choices in pregnancy that could help and I was like, okay, well, one, the information just isn't available, right? So how can anyone make an informed choice without the information? Um, secondly, I feel like society doesn't support pregnancy in the way that it used to. Like if you think about other cultures, when a woman is pregnant, she's nearly given the best food. You know, she's really supported and taken care of. But I feel sometimes like pregnant women are nearly told well now you just sit down eat junk food and you know forget about it you can eat and two donuts because you're pregnant you're eating for two right <laughs> and this is like one of those myths again this eating for two only at the very end in the last trimester you eat, eat a little increase in calories and it's quite small actually the amount but I always think so if somebody's preparing for a marathon so the training, they're like, I'm going to do a marathon next year. They think I'm going to change what I eat because I want to eat things that are going to support my body while I train. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to prepare my body and I'm going to put this work in. And I think, why don't we treat pregnancy the same way? 
why are we not saying, okay, I need to move my body because exercise during pregnancy actually benefits my microbiome. And we know that having a higher BMI in pregnancy actually increases the risk of obesity in children too. And I was like, why, why, why is this kind of story different? Why are we supporting marathon training, but not women? And I, I don't know the reasons, but something has to change where women are like lavished with the best food and support. And, you know, we're taken care of better as well. And we are supported with good information and access to like great food and to know that we can exercise at pregnancy I see you promoting it and oh yeah Michelle I was gonna say we are so on the same page with that I always say to women as as a marathon runner myself pre obviously pre-pregnancy um I always say to women that pregnancy is literally like this nine months of preparation for your body's biggest marathon and that's not just the endurance event that is labor but it's the marathon and the recovery that is motherhood and parenthood for forever really afterwards yeah. you know you're forever postnatal so getting your body in the most um physical and psychologically healthy and strong and capable place that you possibly can during this nine month window that we have to prepare is so so powerful yeah and I think like it's we're nearly afraid to exercise when we're pregnant I, I don't know where this started I have no <laughs> idea of the origins but we're afraid to move and the thing is, you don't have to be doing extreme workouts, but to move is so important. There's so many layers of why exercise is beneficial to the body, whether it's your mood or your microbiome and just general physical health, like lymphatic movement, everything. It's just all there. And then, yeah, I think we need to think about if you invest like you would if you were preparing for marathon, triathlon, anything like this, if you invest in these nine months, the rewards that you could potentially reap in your child's health for life are extraordinary. And also your health, because you don't want to have a really hard pregnancy and then have any kind of difficulties yourself. And then you're going to get drained. They're going to, have to take all your nutrients. You know, that's it. They're, they're taking them. You know, if you don't eat calcium, they're going to take it from your bones, you know, and if you don't have magnesium, they're going to take it from you. I mean, that's fish oils like so if you're omega fats they will take them from you because they have to it's really important that the survival of the child to your body is the most important so then you become deficient and then this also increases your risk of postnatal depression so yeah it's i don't know we, we've got to change the story and the narrative around this like it's a short period but can give you a life of benefits and your child could just get that better start. I was talking to someone the other day and her child has lots of allergies and uh, she was paying for tests. You know, now he's one and he has to get lots of testing of his microbiome and digestive system. And she was like, oh my God, 370 pounds I have to pay. And I was like, there should be like, uh, like a chart of economically, it'll cost you this much for yeah. your child's health afterwards but you could just eat a few more veg and fruit and whole grains and i think this is the beauty of it it's not actually that complicated and it doesn't mean no cake or like, of course cake is part of a, a, a normal <laughs> diet you know not every day 
another thing is like, but of course you can still have a slice. Maybe it's better that you bake the cake yourself if you can. And this is the difference in having home-baked food. And I think that's another thing, home-baked versus ultra-processed. This is like a world of a difference. If you make an apple pie, this is not the thing that's going to break your health. But if you're buying these ultra processed foods and you're getting all of these extra synthetic additives and things, this is going to alter your epigenetics. But butter, you know, apples, chops, you know, good pastry on top and like nice cinnamon. There's many benefits nearly lying in your home baked apple pie compared to something that's ultra processed. That's a really great point, actually, because I think sometimes when we talk about nutrition and pregnancy, expectant mums are worried that what we're saying is that's it, you know, cakes banned, cookies are banned, that's it, you know, all you can eat is fruit and vegetables and lean protein sources, and everything else has to go out the window to optimize your pregnancy. So then for lots of women, that's massively overwhelming, kind of off-putting, because let's face it, we all like the odd slice of cake or you know, yeah, coffee and cake with friends, that's part of life and, and life's too short to be, be feeling like we're restricting ourselves. So yeah. actually to think, okay, so this week we do want to have some cake, but let's think about, like you said, using natural ingredients, we know where everything's come from, rather than all of these kind of artificial processed um, foods with kind of artificial sweeteners and all of these other compounds that we can't even pronounce when we read a, a list of ingredients that's like 30 long for a Victoria sandwich. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and that's the thing, right? What if you, I mean, I do things. So like you want cream, just buy a carton of cream. This is just one ingredient, you know, and whip it rather than one of these spray cans of cream that maybe have like 20 ingredients for something that should be one. Yeah. And just whip up a nice fresh cream and then have strawberries on top of, you know, like make your own sponge cake and you're using like, butter I mean these are all fine you know this is not a and if you can make say your tart with a whole grain flour like super then you're adding in extra fiber but it's just very different and these foods are different in how they satisfy you also when you home bake you don't tend to eat the whole well maybe sometimes but like you don't <laughs> tend to eat the whole pie you kind of you get a different satisfaction and I know that they've done research that with ultra processed foods, you tend to eat more. And then you're taking in not just more calories without realizing it, but just more additives, more everything that isn't going to benefit you. And then the thing is that some of these foods can have a negative impact on your microbiome and then start to let the bad guys overpopulate. And this is the thing, it's about the balance. I always say, if you have a healthy microbiome, so exposure to E. coli isn't necessarily dangerous if the numbers are right. But if you have a really weak kind of balance in your gut and then you get exposure to even one E. coli, then you're in trouble. But if you have a good, strong gut, it is kind of like the police of your system and they can take it. You know, they fight the battle for you. So you feed them and then they take care of you. It's like a special, maybe they're like little I don't know, bouncers in your belly, you know. Yeah, like <laughs> a little, little two-way mechanism helping each other out. <laughs> yeah, and like they do so many different functions in the body. Uh, they are like, they interact with everything from your mental health. So just eating something like live plain yogurt can actually have a beneficial effect on your mental health. They call it, um, they call these psychobiotics. 
So these are impacting mental health. And it's a wonderful new area now that they're starting, they're, they're saying in the future, they could end up recommending and prescribing certain fibers and uh, fermented foods for anxiety or you know some mental health issues. And this is where the future is going to go with this. And it's, yeah, if we can just, I think mostly eat plant foods like fiber, you know, and then fish and, you know, if you don't eat fish, it's also okay. I understand, you know, there are things that you can take instead because you can't um, expect everybody to change their lifestyle choices either. So if you're vegan, then something like taking an algae oil is really important. And this can be your route to getting the DHA mm. that you need to help your baby's brain develop. So it's about, I think, the basic core is fruits, vegetables, whole grains. And it's within that, what works for your lifestyle? Do you like meat? Do you eat fish? Do you eat vegan? You choose kind of what works around it. And it's very adaptable, I think. And then, like you said, you know, it's, yeah, also it won't break you if you have some chocolate or a bit of cake sometimes, or you have an ice cream, you're having a nice day at the beach. I think it's probably more important that you just have that ice cream and enjoy it and, and savor the whole day than stress about one ice cream. It's not going to have a negative impact, you know? Yeah, 100%, Michelle. And that's, that's a really nice kind of balance that makes it, like you said, it's simple stuff. We're not, you know rewriting our whole whole lifestyle necessarily it's thinking about those simple changes that you can make I just wondered when we just talked about the kind of um, additives or artificial sweeteners what are the kind of associated risks when it comes to consuming these in pregnancy I mean I think there's I mean not one specific I mean there's many that can cause problems but the greatest issue is the disruption it causes to your microbiome and then how this impacts your health and your baby's health, but also inflammation. I mean, there's various things. So like having the right balance in your microbiome helps to keep your gut wall lining good. And if you don't have the right balance, if you're not feeding the right bacteria, then they start to eat your own gut wall. So it's, again, it's always about this balance. And as long as you have a variety of fruits and veg, whatever those are. They're your favorites, you know, then you, I mean, certainly when it comes to cosmetics and hands, there are endocrine disruptors that can cause problems. Um, I kind of think it's a good time to lay off the cleaning. It's a good excuse. Sounds, sounds great to me. <laughs> yeah, I think relax about what you're using in products. I just use, I mean, I use a Castile soap. It lasts me a really, really long time because I only use a tiny, tiny bit. Um, I use baking soda a lot for cleaning. Mm. I kind of sprinkle it across my sink and then I scrub the sink. A vinegar is really powerful cleaning uh, agent as well. Sometimes I always laugh that I use it in like my muck bucket. And I think my house smells a bit like fish and chips. <laughs> or like 30 minutes afterwards, I'm like, hmm. But it's, it's so simple, but it's so safe. And, and I suppose cheap. that's, yeah, as I say, cheaper as well. And oh, I suppose that's yeah. something that perhaps we don't think about in pregnancy or, or just, just for our general health, really, in terms of cleaning products that are then 
you know, we're touching them, they're on our hands, perhaps what we're putting on our skin. Our skin absorbs so much, doesn't it? So actually, that's a direct kind of correlation between what you, what sort of um, products you might be touching, whether it's cleaning or moisturizing or whatever. Um, and that kind of, I guess, can really correlate to these conditions in new, in new babies. Yeah, and it's like, so anything that has a spray, that has a smell, a scent, you know for sure if there's a scent that mostly it's got um, parabens that are kind of holding on to this. And so to try and even if you can't, okay, so you can't get rid of everything you say, I need, then use the cream cleaner rather than the spray. And then you're already reducing your exposure because the sprays are going to be, you know, inhaled by you a lot more than if you're using a liquid. So it's about, like I said, making the best choices that you can within what you've got so okay you can't but I think vinegar for me is like the, the best easiest cheapest it's in every supermarket just white vinegar it's cheap it's just so easily accessible and it really works you just pop it in your mop bucket with your water and it's a very effective cleaning agent um, I use it for cleaning the bathroom as well and then if you use baking soda as well those are yeah I think those are the things that I use all the time and then sometimes if I need I'll try and use like an eco version of a cleaning product that maybe I need sometimes for extra support if I have to do something <laughs> but vinegar works well on windows everything really you know look Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating all the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters and what do I even say other than hey <sighs> Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I'm definitely going to have to give that a go. I've never done it. I have to confess, I've never done it. I have got spray. I tried to use the eco versions, but spray yeah. cleaners in my house. That's definitely something I'll be, I'll be taking away is getting that vin vinegar for the chips out of the, uh, out of the cupboard. I just hope that nobody has some like really bad uh, aversion to vinegar in their pregnancy. Like that's not the one smell that makes yeah. them feel really nauseous. Yeah. yeah, maybe save it for second trimester onwards, I suppose. <laughs> I imagine. Broccoli was my uh, nemesis when I was pregnant. I couldn't look at it. I couldn't smell it. For some reason, <laughs> broccoli was like the devil's food. Oh, it's it's not quite a strong smell to be fair, hasn't it, I suppose? Yeah, it does. It's, it's, uh, it was funny because I remember my husband eating it one night and I had to eat with my back to him while he was, I was like, I can't even look at it. It was just, it made me feel so sick. So actually, offended by vegetables. <laughs> that's another thing, actually, pregnancy nausea, right? This is another challenge. I'm saying, okay, I want you to eat lots of food. I want you to have lots of variety. And then you're lying on your bed going, like I can't handle anything. And I was talking about this recently that there are times when, you know, you just have to put all of that out the window and it's about survival, right? Especially if you have severe nausea or vomiting. Um, and then my best tip is that if you cook rice or potatoes, any of these starches, and then you let it cool down, it builds up something called resistant starch and this feeds your gut bacteria. So you can still have something that's very plain and maybe you can kind of stomach like something like plain rice or a bit of potato, but you can also benefit your gut bacteria. So you don't have to fully sacrifice making any kind of 
positive influence. Oh, that's a really great tip. I definitely could have done with that in my first trimester when I was being very, very sick. And I'm not going to lie, there was a lot of white carbs in that first 12 weeks. <laughs> Thankfully, it then got better. <laughs> it's so rough, right? It's just, it's a hard time. It is really hard. Yeah. I remember then- I got mine in the evening, though, my nausea. Yeah, I found actually I was all day, but the evening was worse than the morning. But um, it's, it's unpredictable, isn't it? It feels really unnecessary, I think, that we have to go through that when we're growing human, human beings. They but say I, it's a good sign, though. It is. It's a good sign that the pregnancy hormones are surging, which is um, wonderful. But at the time, it doesn't feel so great. <laughs> terrible that's terrible and I just wonder whether when it comes especially when we talk about things like you know morning sickness or hyperemesis and and lifestyle generally in pregnancy whether our kind of stress levels and that kind of cortisol and adrenaline whether that has any impact as well on kind of development of babies and these common conditions yeah absolutely I mean stress is inflammatory right and it's hard I, I feel I nearly feel bad telling people not to stress because that nearly feels more stressful yeah (laughs) it's like um stress is inevitable I mean like you you're renovating your house there's always something you could be working like a full-time job you could have other kids I mean there's always different things happening um stress it can be unavoidable but what we can do is try to balance it out to take the time to exercise or just get outside in nature Mm. I mean, nature has been shown to reduce stress, but also the exposure to the beneficial bacteria in nature helps you and your baby. So this is probably the best. Maybe you're kind of waddling along, but if you can just take a stroll around your neighborhood, if you can get into a park, great. If you can get into a forest, even better, but just even around your block, take it nice and easy and just spend that time for your headspace. I think headspace is one of the hardest things to achieve when you are pregnant or like having a child. This is, I mean, once a child comes along, then you can just, you have to work really hard to find headspace. But it's that time just to hear yourself and to be with yourself because stress absolutely runs amok in the body and causes so much inflammation and it harms your gut bacteria. And it all comes back again that. Yes, they have shown in studies that extreme stress in pregnancy can impact a lot of these health conditions later in life in children. But I think that's quite extreme stress. I don't want parents worrying that a bit of stress here and there. I think it's a balance, right? I used to go for occasional uh, reflexology in my pregnancy. That was the thing that was for me like and once in a while I would get that and I remember that deep relaxation I felt reminding my body what that felt like but I think walking was also something that was nice and just reading a book anything that can give you five minutes to hear nothing think of nothing just yeah definitely I think the fresh air is so powerful I've definitely found like a whole new role and appreciation for yoga in my pregnancy that has been incredible I've always tried to do yoga before and kind of not really got on with it not massively enjoyed it if I'm honest but in pregnancy it's had this whole new role and I love it and it just feels great for my mind and my body and when you're focusing on the movement and the breath work your mind can't focus on anything else or certainly mine can't maybe my mind just a little bit simple but all you can focus on is that movement and that breath and I think that's really powerful 
I love yoga too. And um, obviously with the pandemic, I've not been going to any classes. This is not an option. Mm. Um, but I do the videos with Yoga with Adrian. Do you know these ones on YouTube? They're free. No. The, classes oh, okay. are, the classes are great. She has everything from a 10 minute sort of yoga session to like an hour and a half like you can choose mm, and she has brilliant. different topics like uh, yoga for stress yoga for your neck you know, yoga for back pain yoga for you know stretching your hamstrings she has a really specific so that you can kind of think you know what my neck is really tight and then she'll do like um just a 10 minute session to help you stretch out your neck and I love those those are my favorite because sometimes you feel like I don't have time I don't have time and then you're like I can do 15 minutes right 15 minutes I can because you could you could spend 15 minutes scrolling on your phone no problem yeah right? exactly all done it. and so I, I love can... the fact that yoga at home can be done in your pajamas I mean this is the biggest <laughs> win ever <laughs> and the fascinating thing with yoga is that the breathing uh impacts the type of breathing in yoga impacts your vagus nerve which helps to relax but also is beneficial for your gut bacteria so it all keeps coming back these things like and the vagus nerve actually singing out loud also stimulates your vagus nerve so if somebody's just really stressed my my i'm gonna my friend used to when she felt just totally overwhelmed she used to put on um really loud music in her kitchen and she would just sing at the top of her lungs and she said one song was enough to her to just go yes okay i'm ready <laughs> i think i'd feel sorry for my neighbors if i did that mind <laughs> Sometimes she used to put on Rage Against the Machine if she was having a really bad day. She was like, <laughs> one song. And she was like, okay, that's good. I feel like I've let it out. She probably didn't realize that the singing was also stimulating her vagus nerve, which was why probably choir singing is so beneficial too. Yeah, so uh, singing. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> anything, a dance, like just letting it, having a, like a five-minute dance, just letting it all go is wonderful that's actually great with kids when when you have a, a child and you're like you're tired parent and you're like i just can't do this i just want to and you also sometimes the days can feel quite long when they're small especially if they're like little toddlers put on music and dance with them it's such a nice way to incorporate some movement for you and then fun for them and it's a really fun like activity this is my that favorite is. thing to do when she was a toddler and i realized that my daughter's seven now and I realized that we don't do that dancing as much, but I'm going to bring it back. Bring back the dancing around the kitchen. At, at Dance parties are coming back, for yeah, sure. I love it. Brilliant. Now, Michelle, I just wonder if you could talk us through some of the, I guess, the kind of key or kind of top lifestyle changes that we could try to make in pregnancy. However, however big or small, that might help reduce our risk of things like eczema, asthma, and allergies in children. And I know your book goes into this in so much detail, um, which is amazing with all the real evidence, which is what I love because that's how we can make those really informed choices. But I wonder if you could just summarize some of the kind of top things for us. I think, I, I mean, my first thing is always mind your microbiome, which means fiber. So just get as many fruits and veg and whole grains into you as possible. And variety, is that important when it comes yeah, to that? Yeah, diversity so like, is really important. Not 100 they, apples a day. <laughs> they say like you should have up to 30 different plants a week. And I think that sounds really overwhelming. But the cleverest way to do that is to add herbs and spices. Adding cinnamon onto a slice of apple with a bit of peanut butter and you've got three plant foods there. 
Mm, and I think yeah. people maybe forget that there's an easy way to kind of and then if you also had a little like seed mix and suddenly maybe you've got like six plant foods and already you're nearly a third of your plant intake for the week you know of the diversity so using chopping up some fresh herbs just buy a couple of you know maybe you can grow them on your windowsill or something and this is fantastic but just buy a couple of packets of fresh herbs and just chop them over your dinner and that can really boost the diversity of plants because otherwise I think it feels really daunting like trying to think about 10 different types of vegetables and you're like I don't know my vegetable my supermarket only has like tomatoes and carrots and yeah cauliflower <laughs> and um another thing I mean so minding your microbiome and um, making sure to get good beneficial fats so whether you know if you can have fish oily fish avocado olive oil um, nuts and seeds and then if you're vegan if you can take an algae oil this is super 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 beneficial because this also feeds your microbiome um, it's not just for brain development and stuff so um, and then I say try to avoid the nasties like the really nasties the ultra processed foods the like chemical sprays for cleaning just to reduce as much as you can uh, especially for pregnancy this is you know, a critical time and you know I didn't mention it but if it's possible to breastfeed this is a really worthwhile investment maybe there's a breastfeeding course you can do or like Lalesh League I think offers a lot of help and support for free um, lactation consultants obviously if there's a problem but Lalesh League again also offers support for me we reached out to Lalesh League first when I was having difficulties um breastfeeding it's like breastfeeding is so powerful if you can do it for even the first few months it doesn't have to be a long-term thing the first 100 days after birth lays the foundation of your child's gut and immune system and breast milk is so powerful that it comes with the bacteria that are beneficial but also the food to feed this bacteria so if at all it's possible for no matter how many days it can be done maybe striving six months is a dream but that's not possible but anything at all can have a huge impact to laying the foundations of a healthy gut never mind the immune benefits of breastfeeding whereas like if your child so at the beginning of life a child's immune system is so underdeveloped that they're very dependent on you. So when they have an infection or they're exposed to germs, they pass that information to the mother through breast, uh, through saliva, to the breast, and then the mother's immune system sends back antibodies specifically targeting that through the breast milk. And it alters it all the time to a different sort of like a, um, different antibodies for different illnesses so it's like this amazing immune cocktail all the time that a mother is passing on and I think this is a really extraordinary thing that you can be fighting many many illnesses that could help your child avoid antibiotics early in life because antibiotics for sure wipe out the gut bacteria so that's something else if you can avoid them as long as possible always ask is there anything else I can do you know um, is there an alternative or you know can we do another test if there's some other way and I mean, if you need them you need them but if there's an alternative or a chance because probiotics can be very effective in like mastitis probiotics have been shown to be nearly more effective so talk to your doctor 
find out if there's another alternative. And I guess by having boosted your gut health, hopefully throughout kind of pregnancy and, and continuing in that postpartum, we can hopefully help reduce our risk of needing antibiotics because our, in, our, our risk of getting those infections that would be treated by them is, is less. So it kind of plays into each other almost in a cycle, doesn't it? Yeah, like I said, it's all about this balance. So that if you have enough of the good guys, they can take on a lot of the exposure that you get. Like I said, with E. coli, if you have a weakened gut, and you get exposed to one, yeah, you're getting E. coli, you know, you're getting a severe infection. But if you have a really good, strong gut, you can take on a lot, take on a good hit. I mean, they've even shown it can be like many infections can be impacted by the type of gut bacteria you have. They can even, funnily enough, impact how effective cancer treatment is in some people just by the balance of gut bacteria you have. So now they're thinking about recommending certain probiotics alongside certain cancer treatments. And I think this is the, it's really exciting time that we're discovering this. And I think it's really exciting to think that in the future, they may like be prescribing fiber or like a fermented food as a medicine. I think this is what the original, let food be thy medicine was the original. Mm-hmm. And now we might be getting to that point and that's really and I just love how it's something that we can actively do ourselves like that's so empowering as a, as a pregnant woman to know that actually this this nutrition this thing I'm doing or these products I'm using or not using can have a direct impact on the health of my baby like that's so empowering but without that information women don't know so that's what I love so much about about your book and chatting to you is that we can get hopefully help get that information out there that's the biggest issue, right? Is that people just don't know. And I think that you're making choices. Everybody's making a choice every day on the information that they have at that moment. But we all do it, whether it's like food or whether it's screen time for our kids or whether it's like our everything, you know, you do the best you can every day. I've never seen a parent that is deliberately trying to screw up their kid. Like I've never encountered a parent like, yeah, you know, I don't care everybody's trying and everybody's carrying this kind of responsibility and we don't have a huge support network anymore it just doesn't exist I talked to my neighbor and where I live is quite communal it's a very different kind of environment Um, it's a special place you know it's quite our houses are all built in this kind of square and a playground in the middle and we have a pizza oven in the middle and we eat together and we we're a lot more communal than other places that I've lived and yet my neighbor was saying like, she wishes that we had these women's villages. <laughs> She's like, maybe our boyfriends or husbands can visit us or something. But yeah. just, it's like, we're missing this support. I miss that group of like other people taking responsibility for watching my kid. And not just, you know, me, that you have to be everything. I, I, this burden of I am all and everything to these tiny humans. It's like, I want a group of people around that are helping and I help with their kids and we all are watching and taking care and sharing. And then someone's like, oh, you look tired today. I'll make the dinner, you know, and this kind of shared experience and we don't have it. And I feel like that's why it's so important to have things like your podcast and advice that this is how we're getting the information and sharing what we would have done in a community. Yeah. And now we have this, we have online and it's for now, I think the best that we can hope for. And we will kind of all be there for each other. And I feel like 
my experience so far has been quite positive with like the birthing community and like midwives, doulas, everything, educators, nutritionists, they're all quite supportive of each other and they're all wanting to gather and help. And I feel like, you know, gathering, cooking together, you know, hopefully post pandemic, we can do all these things again and just being supportive and having each other's back. You know, I think this is going to so be important. Yeah. It is so important. I always say when women support women, amazing things can happen. And we, we've kind of lost that, I think, over the years. And then obviously COVID has not helped at all. But hopefully as we kind of finish 2021 and head into 2022, hopefully things will start to look up a little bit and we can gather back around and, and get chatting again, sharing that information and that, and that invaluable, invaluable support as well, which is, which is so needed and so, so powerful and important, especially in a time like pregnancy. Yeah, and I've missed going into people's houses, you know, I miss this like warmth that you get by being in each other's homes. I've really missed that. I'm so excited to just kind of to get back to that and to be you know, kids together and grouping. And yeah, I'm really, I'm really hopeful. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really, really yeah. excited about the future now after this. It's been, uh, it's I think been we'll a... appreciate those small things a lot more, won't we? Yeah, yeah. It's been a hard time for so many people. I think that, I think people have been amazing. I think they've really shown up. And they've done the best they could to help with the whole communal effort. And I don't know what it's like, I mean, in the UK, but um, I mean, here in Norway, people are great at just kind of respecting the situation and each other and all trying to help each other. And there's just this wonderful, I remember my neighbor was due to get her vaccine uh, recently and she posted in our little neighborhood group and she's like my can't find my car keys and the neighbors are like take my car you know this is important yeah. you go get your and it's like people just giving each other their cars and just go just go just go that's what we need those little snippets of kindness I think if we could all all give a little bit more of that and then then the world would be a, a wonderful wonderful place for sure absolutely now Michelle everyone that comes on the podcast I always ask for three of their top tips so I wondered if I could throw you on the spot and ask you for your, your three top tips for growing healthy babies. Okay, no my pressure. Three, <laughs> the three, I think I said most eat mostly plants. Um, actually, you know what? I'm going to cheat. I'm going to use Michael Pollan's quote of eat whole food, mostly plants, not too much. And that is the best balance is like to eat home cooked fresh or frozen, um, mostly plants, lots of fiber, and then not too much. So it's like this balance of like mm. a bit of everything, you know, to find that balance and have your nice meal and then your home baked pie and have a bit of dark chocolate. This is absolutely fine. But yeah, that's Brilliant. my best. Thank you. I love that. That's a really nice little finisher to, uh, to take us take us off with so thank you so much Michelle and as I say I really do recommend checking out um Michelle's book to anyone who is tuning into us today because it is massively eye-opening and actually just super informative and empowering um, and it just lays out that evidence so that then you're informed to make whatever choice feels right for you but you've at least got the the knowledge to go forward with so big thank you for writing that and for joining us today and I hope to chat to you really soon yeah thanks for having me and I mean have a, a great end of pregnancy and I hope that you get like the birth that you feel good also about and oh, thank you, you feel like it's a powerful situation for you yeah fingers crossed fingers crossed I will report back for sure <laughs> well, I'm really excited just to see him when he comes out and the baby that's been like 
<laughs> I've watched him grow on Instagram. I, know. <laughs> I can't wait to see him when he comes out. He will be coming out shortly, I have no doubt. <laughs> Thank you, Michelle. Have a lovely rest of your morning. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you found it helpful, then please hit subscribe and leave a review. It really does make a huge difference to the number of women I can reach out to and empower with this information. For more daily free information, inspiration or details on my bespoke antenatal education courses or your pregnancy journey course, then head over to my website www.midwifepip.com and check out my Instagram page at midwife underscore pip. Thank you and see you next time. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.